Revelation, the third chapter, I would like to borrow, if I could, just the opening clause of this verse. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8. This is um, right in the middle of the admonition, so to speak, I guess, of God speaking to, to the churches, the seven churches. And he happens to be speaking to the church of Philadelphia. But he says in uh, Revelation 3 and verse 8, where I would like to draw our text from today, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Now, I understand the context of the chapter, but I also understand the principle of the author, of the speaker. God is letting them know that I work through open doors and closed doors in your life. And right now, there is an open door that's before you that when I open the door, no man can close it. And when I close the door, no man can open it. That's just the way he works. I want to preach to you today, how do I get to Macedonia? How do I get to Macedonia? You may be seated in Jesus' name. If you were to pick up your Bible and read in the book of 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, you would find there that the Lord was dealing with his prophet Elijah who had come to quite a strange season in his life, kind of feeling isolated and he left himself under an old juniper tree and he made an awkward request to the creator. He said, is there any way while I'm here under this tree that you just let me die? And... The Lord woke him up, and there was an angel that touched him and said, get up and eat. He said, I want you to look over here because there's a cake that's baking on the coals for you. And the Bible said that he arose, and he ate, and he drank. And then he came into a cave, and there in the cave, he lodged for a while. He had a little conversation with God he said that the Lord passed by and a great strong wind rent the mountains and breaking pieces and the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord he was not in the fire but the Lord was in a still, small voice. What a powerful display of the way that our God works. So many times we're looking for the lightning to flash, the thunder to roll, the fire to swirl around us, and then we can say, oh yeah, I heard from God. But God has been speaking to somebody in this house this morning for quite some season. 
that's been looking for him in the swirling of the wind. You've been looking for him as Job did in the whirlwind. It's hard to find him. Somebody here has been looking for him in the earthquake. But you haven't been able to find him. And I want to tell you where you're going to find him in this house today. God sent me to this pulpit to help somebody in this house to know that it's all right to just be faithful and listen for that still, small voice. I want to tell you today that your life is full of distractions. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care if you claim to float six inches off the ground and speak in tongues eight days a week. You've been slain in the spirit 368 days this year. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Your life is full of distractions. It's easy to get distracted. And it's easy to have a lot of noise in our lives. It's easy for the noise of life, even if it's budgets and bills and family and children and school planning, it's easy for that noise to get louder than the still, small voice. But God has called me here to help somebody on this Sunday morning to bring you back into realignment with the Word of God to understand He's never stopped speaking to you. It's not that you can't hear from God. It's not that God has quit speaking to you. It's that we've got to learn to find the volume knob in our life and say, that vacation's just a little bit too loud. This job is just a little bit too loud. I'm in a loud season. i got to turn it down and hear the voice of God. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. On December the 26th, 2004, The third largest earthquake that's ever been recorded by seismograph occurred deep beneath the Indian Ocean. It produced the energy equivalent of 23,000 Hiroshima-type atomic bombs. It registered at a 9.1 magnitude on the Richter scale. And the shock waves produced tsunami waves that were more than 100 feet in height. The waves were traveling, imagine this, at 500 miles per hour and reaching a radius of 3,000 miles. Think about it. If you're a mathematician in here today and you like to do math, as I read this story, I started adding it up. At 500 miles per hour, how long would it take to reach 3,000 miles? The effects. Think about how quickly it happens. This is the deadliest tsunami in history. As it claimed 227,898 lives. But one of the people, the indigenous groups that were living right in its path, miraculously lived, hear me now, without one single casualty. They're called the Mokin people. The Mokin people are an Austronesian ethnic group that maintains a nomadic sea-based lifestyle. They live on the open seas from the time they're born until the time they die. Their little handcrafted wooden boats called Kabang function as houseboats to these sea gypsies. It's said that Mokin children learn to swim before they learn to walk. They say that they can see underwater 
twice as clearly as landlubbers or people that are not familiar with the sea or sailing. In other words, if there was an underwater hold your breath competition, there would be no contest. You couldn't hang with a moking kid. However, it wasn't their breath holding skills, their seeing under the water skills that saved them. What saved their people was their intimacy with the ocean. The Mokin people understand its moods. They know how to read messages that are coming from the water better than any oceanographer reading the ocean waves the way that you and I would read a street sign. On the day of the earthquake, there was an amateur photographer from Bangkok that was taking pictures of some of the Mokin people when she became concerned with what she saw. This astounded me when I read this. As the sea started to recede, many of the Mokin people began to have tears running down their faces. They were crying. They knew that something was about to happen. They recognized that the birds stopped chirping. The cicadas had gone silent. The elephants were headed to higher ground and the dolphins were swimming further out to sea. What did the Mokin do? Those who were near the coast of Thailand beached their boats and they hiked to the highest elevation possible. Those who were out to sea went even further out to sea because they knew if they made it to the deep place, the tsunami crest would be minimized as it passed by them. There were Burmese fishermen in the very same vicinity as the Mokin that were blindsided by the tsunami and there was not one single survivor out of these Burmese fishermen. It was said, and I quote, by a Mokin survivor, they were collecting squid and they don't know how to look. In other words, they were distracted by their job and they were not paying attention to where they were working. The waves and the birds and cicadas and elephants and dolphins were speaking to the Burmese fishermen. But sadly, they did not know how to listen. According to Dr. Naruman uh, Hinsharanan, an anthropologist who speaks Mokin, he said, and I quote, The water receded very fast and one wave, one small wave, came so they recognized this is not ordinary I said one small wave really one small wave was all it took as amazing as it sounds that it was only one small wave that it took for the Mokin to recognize that the trouble was on the way I realized there was something a little deeper to the message that the small wave and the receding water had sent them. And that is the fact that there was an ancient le legend that had been passed down to them from generation to generation. And hear me closely as this will preach itself by the elders of their people. The elders had been telling them for generations about a wave that's called the laboon. In other words, it is, and I quote, the wave that eats people. The elders had been telling them there's a day that's coming. 
that will consume people. And if you're not watching the signs, you will not be ready and you will be consumed. I'm telling you right now, I stand before you as a grateful man of God for every elder in my life, for every preacher that ever preached, for every camp meeting I've ever been to, for every conference I've ever been to, for every evangelist that preached heaven and preached hell to me. I'm grateful for every messenger that said, church, get ready. Jesus is coming. There's going to be signs. And if you're not ready, you're going to miss the coming of the Lord. Like these seafaring people who speak the language of the ocean, we as children of the Lord speak the language of the Spirit. And one of the ways that God speaks to you and I, I'm going to come down to kindergarten this morning and help somebody. I want this to be as clear as it's ever been, is that sometimes the way God helps us is by an open or a closed door. Does anybody here remember the story of Pharaoh? Pharaoh ignored ten miracles that were the ancient equivalent of a flashing neon sign. God saying, I'm speaking. Are you listening? God saying, I'm about to do something. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Yet Pharaoh disregarded ten signs that God had sent for him. And I'm going to say something to you right here that I believe with all my heart. Ignoring signs in your life is absolutely the equivalent of ignoring God. When God sends a sign in your life and you ignore that sign, that door that has been closed in your life, you're saying to God, your opinion of my destiny does not matter. And with that, God does not have to speak another directive to you. Now, I'm thankful for his mercy. Because there's not a man or a woman that's sitting in this house today that haven't walked right past an open door or kicked a closed one. I just want to get personal here for a minute. And I'm just curious if there's anybody here that's thankful for prayers God didn't answer for you when you were in high school. Because he ended up being bald and fat and you thought he was a hottie. Laid down at night. God, please, 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 please. Please, God, let me marry him. Let me marry him. And now you're like, thank you, Father. <laughs> Woo! There were a few of them that crossed my path, and I thought, Lord, I think I hear you speaking right now. But now their families are messed up. They, they're, they're, their course has gone a different direction. Mine's been right in the house of the Lord. And I just say, God, I thank you. They weren't good looking enough to lose my direction in life. Can I tell you right now, one of the best friends that you're ever going to have in your life is an unanswered prayer because God knows how to speak through a closed door. I want to ask you this morning, what would have happened if Noah would have ignored the forecast? Anybody? What would have happened if Joseph would have ignored Pharaoh's dreams? All 
What if Moses would have walked past the burning bush and said, ah, that's too spooky for me. I don't care anything about listening to a burning bush. What would have happened if the wise men would have dismissed that great star that they had heard was coming since the days of Daniel? What would have happened if Saul would have disregarded his encounter with God simply as an equestrian accident on the road to Emmaus? Can I tell you today that God has the ability of getting our attention even when we feel like we know the answers and we know where we're going. God has a way of speaking and stopping us and giving us direction now I'm going to answer my own questions if Noah had ignored the forecast he and his family would have died in the flood and the human race as you and I know it would have came to an end I want you to think about how this changes history if Joseph disregards Pharaoh's dreams essentially what that means is that two entire nations would have been destroyed by a famine because God gave a word to a young man in a prison cell that said tell him there's going to be seven years of good and there's going to be seven years of bad and you got to get ready for when it's coming hey I want to tell you right now it pays to listen to the voice of the Lord If Moses would have kept walking, the exodus of Israel would have never happened and the promised land would have never been possessed. If the wise men would have not followed the star, they would have never seen the Messiah. Can I tell you today that if Paul would have not stopped when the Lord spoke to him as Saul and knocked him off of his high horse, which thank God he's knocked me off mine a few times. But if Saul would not have done an about face and turned around and listened, do you realize that Saul would have never became Paul and two-thirds of the New Testament would have never been written? But thank God for mercy that reaches down to a man and says, hey, I've got something better for you than this. I feel like telling you today, you may just feel like you're here because it was a random Sunday that you chose to come to church. But I believe that you're here today because God has drawn you by his spirit what would you have done if the Sunday that you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost you had decided not to go to church I think so often of how God orders our steps sometimes and how inconvenient it gets and, and, and listen, I, I, I get it. You know, we're all in a hurry. We got things going on. But do you know how many people in this community have said to me, I've driven by that church for 20 years. Just never stopped. I've always wanted to stop by them, but just never have. And when they walk through the doors, they're like, all it took was me making up my mind. This Sunday's the Sunday. Is there anybody here that's been driving down the road and you know where you're going? You got to go to CVS and you got to get there now. You got to get it done. You're headed to Wally World. Uh, You're headed to Meyer, wherever you're going, and you're getting ready to turn right, and the Lord says, Go left. Now, it may be an inconvenience to you, but somebody at Starbucks that's waiting on you is awful glad that you obeyed the Holy Ghost and said, I'll take a little roadblock and a detour here to go talk to somebody. I shared the story of of a precious gift that God gave this church and gave my family. I've shared it before, but I want to share it again because I love this precious lady so very much. Sister Barbara, we're so thankful 
for her, and, and it was like just a God thing. My, my wife and I were moving three years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. It's been almost three years ago. My wife and I were moving, and we had stored some things across the street here in, in the storage facility. And we kind of became friends with the lady that was running, as in, you know, very superficial, just friends, very friendly when we walk in. And she said, look, man, when you guys are done, all you got to do is just take your lock off the door, and we'll know you're done. So we loaded up the last load of stuff, put it all in the U-Haul truck. It was my last load, so I took the, 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 the lock off. And I came through the gate, and when the gate lifted up, the Holy Ghost said, park this truck and go inside. I was like, I don't have to go inside. She told me to just take the lock. But when I walked in the door, there was a lady standing there that I had never seen before. It was not the same lady that had waited on us. She said, can I help you? I said, I'm just letting you know that we're done. But I noticed there was something different about this lady. She was a holy lady. She was a godly woman. And I said, you don't happen to be apostolic, do you? She said, I do. I said, well, I pastor this church across the street. She said, uh, I, I told her, I said, I'm Pentecostal. She said, well, I'm actually apostolic. I said, we are too. She said, where's your church? I said, you're looking at it. It's across the street. I didn't know that God had moved a precious woman from Indianapolis across the street from FPC. But the Holy Ghost said, stop this truck and go in and speak to this precious lady. Now, I know God has a way, and because she's faithful to God, she probably would have eventually walked over here and came to church. More than likely, it would have happened. But I've thought many, many times right after the Lord blessed us with the precious gift of her fellowship in this body. It wasn't just a few weeks after she started attending here that something attacked her body. And she had a terrible stroke and couldn't swallow and couldn't walk. But I'll never forget the night that she came walking down the aisle. and I'll never forget the night that she took that walker and laid it up here on this platform and went to walk in these aisles. Hey, I'm telling you, you never know what God's doing when he stops you. God knows I love Sister Barbara. telling you we got to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost now I'm not a fool I know that signs are subject to interpretation and there's a fine line between reading signs and reading into signs but this is where we need discernment I'm gonna be bold in the Holy Ghost and tell you this morning that as children of God, we don't make our decisions on horoscopes, tarot cards, palm reading. Are you hear what I'm telling you? It's witchcraft. It's divination. It's false signs. We don't need to have our palm read. There were two palms that were stretched out on a cross, and they were nailed to a tree. That's the only palm reading I need. I don't need a horoscope. I know who made the stars. I know who made the sun. I know who made the moon. That's who I trust for my direction. And if I might just say so right now, I don't believe I'd predicate my future on a fortune cookie either. But the Kung Pao chicken's awful good. 
you eat too much of it, your future pretty much seals its own fate. I'll just be honest with you. And they say in about four hours, you'll be hungry again. <laughs> people are so funny, man. I've had people tell me so many times in ministry, and, and you've heard me talk about this. Honest, honest to goodness. Uh, and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me because I realize as soon as they're speaking this specific language, I know what's getting ready to happen. That the meeting we're getting ready to have is not about communication. It's about information. When they walk in and say, I've been fleecing the Lord. I'm like, goody, goody. I can't wait. What was the answer? The answer was, God's going to let me do exactly what I want to do. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because that's a little Pentecostal slang language that people have picked up through the years. Well, I fleeced the Lord about it, and I feel like I got my answer. And when you go read the story, you really need to, you really need to answer, was the fleece supposed to be wet or was the fleece supposed to be dry? Because if you can't answer that, then you really don't know how the Lord responded. And if you want to deal with God in an Old Testament way, you better at least know if it's raining or it's not. Are you? We, we, were, we were in kind of a precarious situation one time and dealing with a, 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 a I'm, I'm going to be as vague as I can, dealing with a certain person that felt the call for ministry somewhere away from here, but at least on this continent and they were, they, were, they were leaving, came in. They told my dad in that meeting, I'll never, I'll never forget it. They came in that meeting and said, we fleeced God about three things. And we told the Lord if those three things came to pass and we know it was the will of God. He said, well, they come to pass. He said, well, one of the three did, and we feel very confident in it. Oh, boy. Get the first aid kit out. Because somebody's about to get some cuts and bumps and bruises that they should have never had. Are you hearing me? In this day that we're living in right now, if we have ever needed discernment. Not everything you go through is God hating you and turning his back on you. Not everything you go through is the judgment of God in your life telling you he wants you to be miserable. Well, I don't, I don't know about that, Pastor, because I don't know why God would let me go through this. I don't think you understand how it is that God works. What you're going through right now is building and forming your character. It's not something that God sent you in to kill you. Here's what I want somebody to know today, is that if God allows you to walk into it, then he'll give you the grace you need to walk out of it. God has the ability of working in your life when it feels like you've missed God somewhere. Just rest in knowing that when you're in the will of God, you're not going to die in your dilemma. Praise God. So how does God speak? Let's talk about the language of doors. Can we do that for just a few minutes? Everybody got about 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 minutes that I could preach to you? I appreciate you too. I love you. I want to tell you something, church family. Make no mistake about it. God speaks through circumstances. He speaks through circumstances. The scripture is our direct evidence. Somebody say direct evidence. 
the scripture that you and I read from, hopefully, on a daily basis, is our direct evidence. But circumstantial evidence matters too. You can't just base your life on Job because you got fired at work. Well, I guess the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What happened? They laid me off McDonald's. I don't know. Okay. Well, I have a hard time believing that God doesn't have something better for you. You understand what I'm saying? Circumstantial evidence matters. And when you've kept your end of the bargain and you've been faithful to God, there ain't nobody in this world going to starve you to death. Nobody. There's nobody in this world that's going to disprove God's faithfulness to his people. When you've been faithful to God and you've done what you're supposed to do, here's what you need to understand. This is not a demotion. This is a promotion because God is about to elevate you to a new level. You're about to walk into a mission field that you never dreamed God would put you in. I was thinking about the other day how people think they accidentally kind of stuff just evolves and it just happens. And I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. But if there was anybody I was going to pick on, it'd be people that deserve it. <laughs> like the Bailey sisters. <laughs> we, we got cutting up the other day. And I, I asked Sister Linda, I said, how in the world did you guys get here to the restaurant thing? Right? How, how'd this happen? And I want to tell you that a big Z will change your life if you've never had one. That's a sandwich. It's nothing bad. It's not a tarot card or palm reading. But we, we started talking about it. And, and she was just like, well, had the, had the building and the, the stuff st- started moving around. She went into their family a little bit. And next thing I know, I looked up and I'm here. And then I watched people when I went into their restaurant. I, I, I watched people walk through the door. And I watched these two women minister to people and love people, bless people. And I thought, this ain't no accident. God has a way of putting his people in the right places to bless people and to speak life over people. I know, I know, I know you think I'm just a roofer. I know you think I'm just a carpenter. I'm just a truck driver. Oh, no, you're not. You might be a truck driver, but you're on a mission somewhere to a truck stop where there's going to be a desperate man or woman on the side of the road that the Lord has spoken to and they were about to blow their brains out but you're about to walk into divine destiny and obey the Holy Ghost and say to them I wasn't even going to stop here but the Holy Ghost told me to pull this truck over and I'm here to tell you that God can fill you with the Holy Ghost right now Woo! I believe in divine destiny. I don't know why God let me change shifts. I don't either, but I got a good feeling. (laughs) Now, whether or not we walk in that, that's on us. But you hear what I'm telling you today. Circumstantial evidence matters. Don't you let where you're at be wasted. Well, I don't really like it. Don't waste it. I'm not real happy here. Don't waste it. I I don't really know how in the world I can get influence here. Don't waste it. 
I want to tell you right now, Joseph, it may feel like a nightmare, but hang on in the prison because there's two fellas that are going to be valuable to you when Pharaoh starts dreaming. Woo! Can you imagine if Joseph would have went into prison and said, I don't care if you are the butler or the baker. I don't deserve to be here, and I'm not talking to you. Can I tell you all the difference in the story? He would have died in that prison. But instead he died as the second most powerful man in all the land because he was willing to capitalize on the circumstantial evidence of where he was. This won't last forever. This is not my destiny. This is not where I've been called to live forever. But God's got me here for right now, for this season, for a reason. God is unfolding something. And even when I don't feel it and I don't know what he's doing, God is working on my behalf. Discernment goes beyond contextual intelligence. I'm just being honest with you. Because I've tried to look at papers before Brother Snow and say, God, how, 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 are, you, how are you going to do this? I've gone over this budget a thousand times. I, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do it. And I'm standing in the lobby of this church. And hear the most god-awful noise. And run outside and realize that there was just about $200,000 worth of hail that fell on this church. What do you mean? I mean, I've pulled in this parking lot a thousand times. That's probably hyperbole. I've pulled in this parking lot hundreds of times. Looked at the roof and said, God, we need a roof. And we don't have $200,000, $250,000 just laying around. I mean, my wife does in her top drawer, but the church don't. I'm going to find it too one day, Brother Grace. She's hiding it on me. I know she is. I'm going to find it. Old money bags. I said, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. I, I really don't know. And here we are in the middle of COVID and lockdown. Everybody's talking about, oh, God, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, Lord. We ain't never going to have church again. And I just happen to be down here at the church and here. Like, what in the world? Is this a rapture? And I was hoping because my feet just stayed on the ground. I'm like, whoa. I turned around. I knew when my wife hadn't disappeared, I was good. My Uncle Mike told me one time, he said, son, uh, now, maybe I shouldn't have said his name because it reveals his carnality. But he said, I'm going to tell you right now, if you make it, heaven's going to be crowded. <laughs> Is it that funny, Elvis? <laughs> I told him I'd let him know, but there'd be a great gulf fixed between us. I don't know. God, ha God has a way of, of inconveniencing us and, and bringing us to a place where you're trying to figure out, how, God, how are you going to do it? And God says, watch what I'm going to do in about five minutes. Man, I don't know what just happened, but I just felt a sign of the Holy Ghost move in here. 
Anybody else feel that? It's like the whole room just shifted right there. Somebody is realizing today that you are not wasting your time where God has you right now. You are there by divine appointment. God is working on. Pastor, I don't deserve that. I don't, I, I don't need to be used like that. I, I, I'm too messed up. Hey, you're not too messed up because God's got his hand on you. He may not, you may not be perfected, but that's all right. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Just don't forget, it only took him a week to make the moon and the stars. It only took him a week to make the earth, but he's still working on me. That's mercy. Oh. How do doors work, Pastor? Well, if I can give it to you in my language, the language of doors is basically this. I start picking up what God's been putting down. He has to break it down Gerber style for me. He starts speaking to me on a level that I understand. When the Lord has to make it clear, and I don't know how he talks to you, but sometimes he talks to me and it's a little stronger than I like. And I'm trying to push and push and push and push and go and run. And I'm exhausted. And he's like, you wouldn't be tired if you'd just stand still. See, I just, that, that right there was worth a week of camp meeting for somebody. You wouldn't be so exhausted if you just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Quit trying to get out of the prison so bad. You'll get to the palace soon enough, but you got to go through some things to form your character. You got to wait till God gives Pharaoh a dream before there's an interpreter needed. I, don't, I really don't have time to preach all, all this part right here, but, but I, I want to tell you something, folks. Listen, there was a time in Joseph's life that he hated being hated because he was a dreamer and understood dreams. Don't hate the giftings that God have put in your life because it may, you may feel right now like all it's doing is making your brothers hate you. But if you'll keep your heart right, that same spirit that's on you someday is going to allow you to feed those same brethren. God needs to know if, he can, if, if you can handle it or not. Because someday you may, get, you may get the choice as to whether or not you're going to feed those people that hurt you or let them starve to death. See, I just shifted gears right there. I lost all of you right there. You know what they did to me? Do you know how those people treated me? Do you know the things they said? Pastor, do you know what they did to me? Yes, I do. They formed your character. They made you a man and woman of God. Nobody should have to go through that. I agree. But when you come out on the other side of it, you're going to know more than you knew when you went in. And you're going to have a better appreciation of prayer and fasting and learning how to keep your flesh beat down. Don't be surprised when you keep your spirit right and God starts elevating you. And before you know it, you're going to be praying blessings on those that have prayed cursings on you. Man, I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost, and I didn't even spit that to the fourth row. <laughs> I guess I have these little colloquialisms and all this stuff. I, I just I guess part of who I am or whatever. The other night, I was in Indianapolis with uh, a family. Josh and Lish were in Indianapolis eating downtown. And we walk out of the restaurant waiting on our car, and somebody steps out the door and says, Hey, Brother St. Clair, break it down Gerber style. Like, oh, 
Like, I was just listening to your podcast today. I'm like, of all the things. I haven't said anything better than that. If you do hear this podcast, it was good to see you, and I love your family. It was funny. It's just funny. It's just the way it is. But I can't help it. I'm messed up. I want to tell you right now, folks, and, I, and I'm, I'm hurrying. Everybody doing okay? I'm having a blast this morning. Anybody falling asleep yet? I'm almost done. If your neighbor falls asleep, just get a good, sharp pencil out of your purse and take care of business. I want to tell you something, church. And I want this to be very slow. And I want you to get this down deep in your spirit. Discerning the will of God is about so much more than doing the will of God. Discerning His will is about knowing His heart. If you don't hear anything else that I'm saying, this is the heart of what I'm preaching to you. Discerning the will of God is not so much about doing the will of God. It's about knowing His heart. And the only way that happens is when you choose to get close enough to Him to hear Him whisper. I just preached a mouthful to you. God, if you tell me what to do, then I'll do it. Hang on. He may be trying to get you close enough to him that you can hear him whisper. And he don't have to send a prophetic minister to you, stick his finger on the tip of your nose and say, Thus saith the Holy Ghost. This is what the Lord told me to tell you. Are you against it, Pastor? No. It's part of the fivefold ministry, and we got to have it. But listen to Pastor when I tell you this morning, and, and, and God spoke this to me in, in the prayer room just as clear. I had to stop praying and write it down. Listen, the Lord said, Me saving people, me saving people is not about just getting them to stop sinning. I was like, What? I mean, that's. That's part of conversion. He said, no, the part that people celebrate is after they've served me for a long time, they finally get their kinks worked out and they start celebrating. Whoa, I stopped sinning. Think about where I'm at right now. I just got deep up in here. He said, I didn't just save people for them to stop sinning. As a matter of fact, the plan of God is for us to stop that at conversion. The mercy of God is there in case we don't. But while we're still wrestling with whether or not it's sin, he's having to holler at us through his word and say, Hey, don't go there. Don't do that. And he's still trying to set boundaries in our lives while the destiny is over here across the Jordan River and we're walking around the mountain over and over, over and over, over and over. And he's saying, This is not your destiny. But until you get what I'm saying, you're going to walk around this mountain. You're just going to keep walking around it. I'm going to have to take you back to the place where I laid the basic foundations for you until you realize you are bigger than this wilderness. Does that make sense to anybody? We're like, woo! I've gone a week without cussing. I applaud you. Because that's a big deal for some sailors. Uh, but, but understand me now. 
But these are sins of commission. Man, I, I want to help somebody right here. These are sins of commission. I stopped committing adultery. Good. You stopped committing adultery. Stop. Good. Go thy way. Sin no more. I stopped drugs. Good. Stop. That's commission. Stop. But there is a great uh, a sin that's just as great as what you've been doing. And that's the sin of what you've not been doing. Oh, boy. Tell us, Brother James. Well, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not. And so then we start to balance it. Well, since I can't do the will of God, I guess I'll just go right back. Since I can't do the will of God, I guess I'll just keep on popping these pills. The devil's a liar. He'll drag you right back into the sins of commission because you hadn't been able to handle the sins of omission. So let me just tell you right now, there's a way to fix that. Tell the devil to shut his mouth and you open yours up and start loving on the God that loves you so much. He robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us and gave his life. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. You weren't just saved to stop the sins of commission. You are saved to draw close enough to him to hear him whisper your name. When you're in a shopping center and the Lord says, stand right here for just one second. And somebody comes around that corner that you haven't seen in the altars of this church for 25 years. And as you begin to talk to them of the goodness of the Lord, tears begin to run down. Is there anybody here today that's so glad somebody waited on you? Is there anybody here today that's so glad somebody called you on the phone? Is there anybody here that's so glad that somebody stopped by and said, we're praying for you? I'm hurrying. I'm, um, I'm just about there. Sometimes it's just about drawing up so close to him that I can hear him whisper to me. But there's another level of this that somebody needs to realize in this house today. Open doors are not necessarily your destination. You will never arrive, and if you're a note taker, write this down. You're never going to arrive before the coming of the Lord. You're not going to get to the place where you're like, whoo, thank God I'm finally spiritual enough. Not going to happen. Because an open door is not your destination. Actually, it's the door that leads to a door that leads to a door that leads to another open door that leads to a closed door. So you wait and then you walk through the next open door. That's how it works. Sometimes closed doors. I want this to minister to somebody, but sometimes closed doors come in your life in the form of failure. Sometimes closed doors come as checks in the spirit that keep us from walking through the doors in the first place. But sometimes God shows us the way by getting in the way. You hear what I'm telling you? Sometimes God will show you the way by getting in your way. When you try to leave and the Holy Ghost says, stand still. On his second missionary journey, the Apostle Paul had every intention of going to Bithynia. 
He had more than likely booked his non-refundable fare. But God closed the door. In Acts 16 and 6, there was a check that came. And the Holy Ghost that said, you are forbidden to preach the word in Asia. The Holy Ghost said, don't go. But the ninth verse shows us that the check in the spirit was followed by the vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come on over to Macedonia and help us. We call it the Macedonian call. Where God's check in Paul's life was a red light that let him know, I need you to stop right here. Because there's somebody in Macedonia that needs a word from God. A check in the spirit may be God's red light to you. And if you don't obey that sign, you may be headed towards trouble. I want you to know that God closes doors to protect us. And God closes doors to redirect us. And God closes doors to keep us from less than his best. Bithynia was Paul's plan A. So Macedonia probably felt like plan B. He probably perceived it to be a detour. But it led to a divine appointment with a woman by the name of Lydia who became the first European convert to Christianity in Acts 16, 14, and 15. Although this may have been an unsettling moment for Paul, it was not unfamiliar territory for him. Because you have to know, in Acts, the 28th chapter, the scripture said that there was a perfect storm that tossed his vessel for 14 days before it shipwrecked off of the island of Malta. But when he got there, you really got to ask the question, was it a shipwreck or was it divine appointment in disguise? Well, you could always ask Publius, who was the governor of Malta, because his father laid sick in the bed and God took a man on a detour from a shipwreck and said go in there and lay hands on him and pray the prayer of faith and God raised Publius father up out of that bed can I tell you God has a way of getting you where he wants you to go don't despise the moment how do I get to the will of God pastor how do I get to Macedonia You've got a quick confusing coincidence and providence. Coincidence says it's a shipwreck. Providence demands that it was divine appointment. I want somebody in this house to know today, God has set you up for this moment in your life. God has brought you to where you are today because there's something that he's trying to work and do in your life. And the enemy would love to steal your joy. But the reason why you're facing what you're facing today is because somewhere down the road, you're going to be in a familiar territory. And you're going to open up your mouth and say, you know what? I had every plan of going to Bithynia, but thank God I went to Macedonia. And so today, if I've got to stop by Malta, then so be it. If I've got to come in in shipwreck, if I've got to come in in broken pieces, just know this. Wherever there's a man laying sick in the bed, God's going to send somebody to pray the prayer of faith. Would you stand with me this morning? How do I get to Macedonia? You stop when you're going where you feel like you got all the answers figured out and you know what you're doing. 
you heed the voice of God. And you make your way down a path that you didn't have planned. It's not on your route. Sister Joyce, I've never met anybody like your dad. Brother Gill could tell you six months from right now where he's going to be and what highway he's going to be on at 2 o'clock that afternoon. When he planned a trip, he knew where he was going. But sometimes God takes you on a detour. My wife and I had just got married. We were in the Caribbean, the Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Island Territory. And I walked into this gift shop on the, in the Hyatt, uh, uh, whatever it's called, where we were staying. And we walk in this gift shop, and this lady started talking. She was a, a, a big, tall, white lady. I knew she wasn't uh, from native to the Caribbean islands. And she had a real country accent. I'm in the middle of nowhere, man. And I said, are you from North Carolina? She said, yes, I am. I said, well, what part are you from? She said, it's a little bitty part. You wouldn't know anything about it. I said, really? She said, yeah, it's a little old town called Wilson. I said, Wilson? Do you happen to know W.L. Brantley? This is my sister's father-in-law. She said, yeah, I know the Brantleys. How is it that you just think you're retiring and taking a job in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere, but God sends somebody into a shop? Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Your witness will live on. Keep on planting the seed because someday somebody, God's going to send them around a detour. And they're going to come to that seed that you have planted and you have watered with your tears. And God's going to give the increase. I came. I came this morning. I'm reaching for that person. There may only be one or two people in here today. That, I'm really, that, that really get what I'm saying because some would be like, well, Pastor, I'm in a good place right now. I'm, I'm good. Listen, I'm reaching for somebody that's in the house right now and you don't understand why you are where you are. You're just like stuck and, and every day feels like the same old, oh, I just, and you're starting to despise the detour. But if you've got faith enough to believe that God created you and everything seen and everything not seen, then you got to trust to know that he knows exactly what he's doing at this time in your life. I want to help you today. I, I want to help you that before you grab that white towel of surrender and throw it in, I want you to buy into God's will and plan for your life one more time today and say, God, wherever you have me today, I'm going to work with all my heart and all my might. I believe you for it today, Father. If you're here today, would you just step out? Make your way to the front. Surrender yourself right now with lifted hands to the will of God. Lord, I'll do what you've called me to do. I don't know who it is that you want me to love while I'm here. Who it is that you want me to minister to while I'm here, but I'm going to do it, God. I know the devil's told you you don't deserve to be used. That's okay. He's a liar. He never knows how to tell the truth. In a situation, Pastor, I never saw myself getting, I just never saw myself here. You just let God keep working. When's he going to do it? I don't know. I don't know. But there's somebody in Macedonia that's waiting on you to come. 
All over this house right now, just reach with your faith right now. If you're in a good place, you feel all as well. I want you to stretch your hands towards the front of this church for people that are up here trying to make decisions in their heart and their life today. And I'm going to make you a promise. If you don't need this word today, there's going to come a time in your life that you're going to need this word right here. And you're going to come to a season in your life and say, God, why am I here? And it's in that moment you're going to remember on that Sunday, Pastor got up and said, God's going to send me somewhere because he has a work for me to do.